joining us in the BGSM podcast, Cherie. Um, as, as you know, um, but our listeners might not, now we're recording some podcasts uh, at the start of 2022 uh, that are going to look to break down the concept of knowledge translation. Um, and Sheree, we're absolutely thrilled to have you on board to kickstart this series, given your uh, expertise and your work in this area. But for anyone who might not have come across your work, um, do you mind just by um, maybe starting off and introducing yourself, please? Hi, Stefan. Uh, my name is Dr. Cherie Becker. I am a, an assistant professor um, at the University of Bath. I'm based um, at the Centre for Health and Injury and Illness Prevention in Sport. And my research um, is around knowledge translation and safeguarding and sex and gender issues um, in sport and exercise medicine. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm really happy to be here talking to you today. It, it's great to have you on board. So you've already, well, we've already mentioned <coughs> now, the phrase knowledge translation. And just kind of before recording, we were discussing how for a lot of people, it, you know, just that phrase might increase the heart rate by 10, 20 beats per minute as people get, break out in a cold sweat because we don't quite, some people don't quite understand what it means, but we're told it's really important. So if I say to you, knowledge translation, um, what does that mean? Yeah, so I think in sport and exercise medicine, it's generally accepted that knowledge translation is a way to bridge the gap between research and practice. So I think we've all heard in horror that stat that says that it takes on average 17 years for research to be implemented into practice. And as a result, we've seen lots of new concepts and terms that describe how to overcome that research to practice gap in our field. So these include, for example, uh, concepts like reach and awareness and implementation and dissemination, and of course, knowledge translation. So for me, knowledge translation is an active process, not something that we can just tick off on a list. And I really like the definition from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, in which they define knowledge translation as a dynamic and iterative process that, that includes synthesis, dissemination, exchange, and ethically sound application of knowledge to improve health or to provide more effective health services. So they also go on to say that this process takes place within a complex system of interactions between researchers and knowledge users. And for me, that's a really key part of knowledge translation. So I see this as a multifactorial and complex process. Um, I do think that in sport and exercise medicine, we focus too much on the synthesis and dissemination aspects and not enough on the exchange and that ethically sound application of knowledge aspects. Um, so I think in sport and exercise medicine, a solution to bridging the gap between research and practice is most often couched solely in the idea that research knowledge must be made more accessible for end users to understand and use. And while I think that that's important, I don't think that that's the whole of the work. And so I think this is something that we'll talk about today. Absolutely. And for our listeners who might be researchers, be that kind of like clinical researchers or maybe even based in the lab, um, practically, what does that mean for, for them? And we will come across maybe, and I don't know if this might be a nice way to to introduce some of the the concepts and some of the tools that you use and what's it look like at a practical level 
Yeah, well, here I think some of the lessons from my own PhD research can be really inform, um, informative. Um, so I think, as I said, there has been this relatively rapid move to bridging the gap between research and practice. Um, and we're seeing lots of people talk about more and better dissemination. But if we look at knowledge translation as, knowledge translation as a fuller concept, um, I think that we can embrace it um, quite differently. So, for example, um, when I looked at knowledge translation um, in my PhD research, I started by doing a document analysis of uh, lay sports injury prevention resources that were available from six government and non-government organisations in Australia. And I found that dissemination of resources is actually not the problem. In fact, there were hundreds of lay sports injury prevention resources already available in Australia. I think I found uh, 284 different resources. So these were posters and infographics and apps and, and you know, all of those kinds of um, tools to, to do that knowledge translation work. Um, and I think that this... Um, too much information problem is something that hadn't been previously identified when we do talk about uh, the need for more and better knowledge dissemination. So we think that when we have too many resources and that when there is too much dissemination happening, the challenge becomes that implementing those injury prevention interventions or resources at sports clubs, uh, people who are working in those sports clubs need to integrate what they already do and what they already know in that setting, taking into account the myriad of other resources um, that they already use in those spaces. Uh, and now they have to integrate that new information as well. So the assumption that people will successfully implement interventions or new information merely because resources exist and are presented in an eye-catching format is a naive one. I think we actually have a problem of too much information um, in these spaces. So the problem remains that even if people do know about scientific evidence, they're often unsure of how to use it anyway. A newly disseminated resource doesn't necessarily supersede or replace an old one. Rather, it just adds to the complex array of existing resources and requires greater responsibility. So I think we need to do that dissemination. This isn't to say that dissemination um, is not valuable. Indeed it is, and I embrace many dissemination activities. But it is to say that that empty model of dissemination as a one-way street is what I think puts a lot of people off. I think if more people felt empowered to embrace knowledge translation as a longer-term conversation about their work and what they know to be important, so that idea of making a difference, I think we'll see more progress in these spaces. And of course, this also requires our workplaces to value that as work as well. Sure, and that leads me on to, on to one point I want to come across. So um, it's one of those things, I guess, people listening might say, it's very much nice to know. Um, but do, do you think it, you know, previously it's been very much a case of um, publish or perish, and because, I guess, academic institutions have placed a huge amount of value on publications. Um, you've obviously embraced this hugely. You've done a huge amount of work in, in this space. Um, what made you embrace it so much? Was it, did you have a very supportive, have you had supportive work environments where they've placed a high amount of value on it or have you kind of done it because you 
you want to make a greater impact in, the, in that space. How, where did your journey begin in, in this kind of area? Yeah, so as I say, um, I've kind of seen knowledge translation as an important part of the work. So I think people often see knowledge translation as an optional add-on uh, to the research. Once the, the important work, once the research has already been concluded, uh, people then see knowledge translation or dissemination as an add-on to the work. And I think that I've successfully managed to flip that. And even though we need to recognize knowledge translation as a costly and often lengthy process, if we build it in from day one, I think that's really where we can see the value in it and where our workplaces uh, can start to embrace that as an important part of the work. So understanding knowledge translation, not simply as something that's then achieved or, or not achieved after the research has been done, um, but actually seeing it as an ongoing process that involves a longer term conversation about your work. Uh, so for me, this, this includes things like collaborating, um, not only with other researchers, but meaningfully collaborating with end users. So, for example, in my PhD research, I spoke with numerous representatives of government and non-government organizations who might use sport and exercise medicine research in their work. And I heard from them that they believe, and rightly so, I think, that research is produced by researchers for researchers. And they felt that they often had to invest a lot of time and resources into making that knowledge accessible for their audiences. And I also found that often they relegated this work to an intern. Um, so I feel like we need to build this into our work. We need to work with these organizations. We need to work with athletes and coaches and clinicians. And we need to design our research so that this doesn't simply include athlete or patient voice, but actively empowers them to drive change in their settings in whatever creative way this might be. And I think we should note that this might not be an infographic and we should recognize that this might not look like what we think it should look like. Um, a good example from my PhD research is that uh, we had expected that lots of the organizations might say that they would like to implement new apps uh, within their sports organizations because that was something that was uh, quite cutting edge back in 2016. Um, and when we spoke to them, lots of them said that they actually just wanted a poster to put up in the locker room um, that's really what they needed in those spaces so I think that's a really important aspect um, that collaboration and building capacity for that into funding applications into research proposals and into the outputs uh, that we might do. I think one of the crucial points and one thing that I'm really um, really kind of um, understanding from, from, from hearing you talk is that it's not an add-on at the end of the project or piece of work. It's absolutely should be front <laughs> um, of the kind of entire pro project from its from its inception. Um, from your experience, it, it, there's absolutely no doubt, and I'm sure our, our, our readers will be, or li and, and listeners will be really keen to maybe um, come across, see your work and we'll point them towards your social media handles um, at the end of the podcast. Um, but some people might find that a bit daunting what tips have you had what have you found that works really well to get some of these key stakeholders key stakeholders involved at an early stage 
Yeah, so as I've said, I think it's really important to build knowledge translation uh, into the work from the beginning as an important part of the work. And I don't believe that everybody needs to be an expert in that. I think it's, it's really valuable to collaborate with people who do have expertise or may have done this before and know what works, or to empower people to uh, learn what might work for those organizations uh, themselves. Um, so as I said, we need to realize that this isn't only about dissemination, so not only about, let's say, social media or infographics, um, but also about exchange and collaboration. So for me, having a dissemination strategy, for example, is really important. So alongside that collaboration and exchange and building that in as part of the research process, having a dissemination strategy that you develop up front is really important as well. So for every piece of work that you do, I think it's it's really, really valuable to have planned in the pipeline, not only the research article, but a blog post as well, a podcast episode lined up, a Twitter thread lined up, an infographic, um, a piece in the conversation, a piece of performance art, maybe, uh, working with your university media office. So these are all different kinds of strategies that can be used for every piece of work that you do. And I think if you start to see that as an output that you will work towards, uh, rather than something that you do as an add-on at the end um, of the research study when it's already um, published, then you can start to recognize it as work and build it into your work stream. Um, Alongside that, tracking the metrics and recording that as part of your academic work is really, really important to be able to show and report on that as well. Um, and locating your work within a wider ongoing conversation in this way um, is really important. I know it can be intimidating or seem frivolous to engage in dissemination and knowledge translation work, but I think once you recognize this as the real work, then the game changes. Then you can work with people who can help you uh, with these strategies. I'll also say here that I cannot tell you how many amazing opportunities have come my way through being open and talking about my work in different genres and spaces in this way and engaging with people differently, especially end users. Um, I think that that's a, a really valuable outcome of making a difference, as I said before. Perfect. That was a very inspiring answer, actually. I think a bit of a call to action, which is exactly what we're after. Um, I'm going to place you in the shoes of a maybe a PhD student who is were, who's working with a very senior primary investigator um, who is, this isn't planned by the way, Shuri, so please feel free to uh, take a bit of time, um, work with a really senior primary investigator who is really busy uh, and they've handed the role to the student to just crack on with the research project and, that, and, and that's it. Um, the student might now be really keen to to really progress and really not and start thinking of the whole knowledge translation element of it. Um, how can students, how can maybe more junior researchers um, try and convince other members of the team about the importance of this? Are there any are there any metrics, are there any stats or anecdotes um, that can help persuade people about the value of this? 
I think that's an excellent question because we know that this is very often the case and this very often happens, uh, right? I, I remember being in the same position myself. So I think, first of all, the most important thing to do, again, is to um, break this, this hard link that we have between knowledge translation as being dissemination only or knowledge translation equaling social media only. Because we know that a lot of people are not necessarily on board with uh, social media only. So recognizing that knowledge translation is about so much more than that, it doesn't necessarily have to mean social media engagement, but it can mean engagement in different ways to make that real difference working with end users, collaborating with end users. So that can be a really, really important way of kind of starting that conversation. However, if, if the student is really keen um, and has seen the value of social media engagement, of dissemination of their work, uh, there is definitely research out there that shows that social media engagement with your work translates directly into, into citations of your work. And of course, um, senior scholars, professors are, are always uh, very interested in that. That's an important part of being a scholar is being cited. Uh, so, you know, the more that you can put your work out there in front of other scholars and, and get citations, uh, that's really important. But of course, we also know that universities uh, nowadays are interested in knowledge translation. I think we have the, the knowledge exchange framework coming up within the UK higher education and space anyway. And as I said, writing that into grants, planning that in is a really important part of the process. So there's definitely research out there. There are tools out there to show the value of the work, to show the importance of this work beyond uh, it being frivolous social media um, or simply frivolous social media um, alone. That's the second really inspiring answer we've had about this podcast. So um, no, I think it's I think it's really useful. I'm, thanks for answering that on the fly um, because I think it is one of those things. Because as a PhD student, as a junior researcher, there are so many things we discussed before that you could be doing. And it's trying to find out what you could be doing and what needs to be doing. And I think I know what BGSM and that comes from the very top from an editor level want to do is to move this knowledge, tra knowledge translation kind of concept into the needs to do pile and to try and help convince people that it is absolutely the right thing to do. And it's absolutely vitally important that that's actively considered. Um, so really um, glad for you to have to really glad we managed to, to talk to you and really appreciate your time. Um, I think there'll be a hell of a lot of listeners who really want to, to maybe see examples of what you've done in this area. Um, and so probably we've discussed social media and um, people can find you on Twitter is, is the best place. Yeah, that's right. So people can follow me um, over on Twitter at Sheree Becker. Um, and I'm pretty um, open and skilled, I think, over there at, at showing and sharing um, how this is all a larger conversation um, about the work over there. Um, I think it's really helpful to see social media platforms um, not as a, a one-way space simply to share links, but rather as part of this larger ongoing conversation. So if anyone wants to join me um, over on Twitter at Cherie Becker, um, please do. Perfect. And I'd just like to finish by maybe pointing listeners towards um, a review article that you did for BJSA, it must have been last year, so in 2021, uh, which was around ACL injuries and the gendered environmental approach. Um, because I know as part of that, it was, I mean, it was great to see a lot of the kind of practical examples of how you approach this. So with the 
a link with the university's press office, with Twitter threads. And also then I know full well, because you could see it on social media, you discussing the research and the implications of the research with end users from athletes and coaches um, and the rest of it. So we'd, uh, I'll make sure the link to both your social media profile and that uh, ACL article uh, are in the, the show notes of this podcast. Um, so again, Cherie, thank you so much for, for joining us on, the, uh, on this BGSM podcast. Thank you very much for having me.